Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Hello and welcome New Life Lutheran Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Eric. Thank you for joining us today. Today on our podcast, Pastor Ben and I are continuing our conversation on encouraged calling. So if you missed our conversation last week, make sure you go back and listen to that before you listen to this one. So far in our podcast, we have been exploring this year uh, New Life Lutheran strategy and how we want to see uh, the hearts and lives in our community and our world transformed by the power of the gospel. And we have a three-part strategy that includes the row, which is our uh, larger worship gathering, the the table, which is what we're exploring now, which is our life groups, and then the chair, which is personal uh, devotions and family devotions. And so we've been going through the chair and exactly what it looks like for uh, for us to fulfill our mission and vision um, through these things called life groups, which are small groups um, that do four main things. They share life with one another. uh, They care for one another intentionally. uh, They live faithfully with one another and encourage each other to uh, pursue their relationship with God well, and also encourage each other in their calling. And so these last two weeks have been about that last part, the encouraged calling. So if you've missed last week, make sure you go back and listen to that before you listen uh, to this uh, episode because we're jumping right into the middle of the conversation and continuing our conversation from last week. So we're going to shift here. We're going to kind of move from uh, a spiritual plane to kind of a little bit more practical plane. We've talked about spiritual gifts. We talked about passion. So kind of that, that feeling, that drive within us, it's kind of hard to put a finger on all the time or really quite understand it. So now we're going to talk about things that we see play out on our everyday life. And the next one, the A, is abilities. So these are you know, naturally how we were crafted, almost from the beginning or things we've honed over time. But as we get into this, I think it's important to explain the difference between spiritual gifts and abilities. Can you walk us through the delineation there? I'm just I'm just going to give a caveat that this is this is how I understand this now, which I guess we should say about everything. <laughs> this is how I understand this now. Um, but my, again, my best understanding, the, the reason that I, I define spiritual gifts the way that I did, it is a particular way that the spirit empowers you to do something that you may not be able to do on your own, or you may not be able to do naturally. Um, now sometimes that's something as benign as serving somebody, um, being able to put aside what I'd want or what I, you know, my own laziness to serve somebody. Um, and it can be as, intense as tongues, right? So something that is outside of your normal ability. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're superpowers. Um, they're just, uh, cause I think that they're dynamic. I think that the spirit gives them as, as he sees fit. Um, and they can change, you know, you can have a spiritual gift and then not have it. And, you know, I think that it can be uh, provisional. I think that he gives, gives and takes as he sees fit. So, um, that's what a spiritual gift is. Something the spirit gives you that's outside of your normal ability. Um, and so your, our abilities are those things that those skills that we've picked up, developed, um, sometimes they're, uh, they're natural. Um, and I think that abilities, um, maybe I kind of see it as like, uh, uh, the, the abilities is a kind of a funnel for the next two, uh, which is personality and experience. I think that our bill, that our abilities kind of uh, encapsulate both those things too. So some things are just naturally born with. Um, if it's a particularly nice um, speaking voice, that's something that you're born with, right? You you can do some development of that. Um, you can hone that a little bit, but part of that is just your natural. Um, if you have uh, a, a prowess uh, toward um, being able to process information um, and uh, boil it down really well, if you have photographic memory, you know, all those sorts of things, 
Um, those are just abilities that you have. Those are things that God has gifted to you. Um, they are gifts to you. You you haven't earned them. Um, they're things that God has given you just out of his grace. Um, abilities uh, and what would separate spiritual gifts maybe from abilities is the Holy Spirit himself. You have your abilities outside of the Spirit. Um, so non-believers have abilities. They have particular things that God has gifted them um, that they have naturally. Um, so that's what, an, that's what an ability is. Um, it's what God has given you um, either from birth or, or that you've been able to hone um, that exists outside of the Spirit's giftedness or gifting to you um, for a particular work. You kind of leaned in, into this a little bit already, but you kind of talked about spiritual gifts being given to us for a specific purpose and specific yes. time. So there there can be a little bit of ebb and flow. There can be some staticness to it as well. I, and I should say that's the way that I that's the way that I'm I'm I read the scripture now. So again, we're gonna stop where scripture stops. So the scriptures never say that when the spirit gives you a gift, you have it forever, which is how a lot of our charismatic brothers and sisters would talk about the spiritual gifts. That's another delineation. Um, probably is that the scripture doesn't ever say that um, it doesn't it doesn't assume that so I I don't know if that's what happens I think that that is what happens so I just want to make sure that I clarify that a little bit yeah. if you have issue with that you can email Pastor Eric at <laughs> erak dot just kidding obviously as we have these conversations um, we are always trying to understand an infinite God with finite minds yeah. and so this is part of the reason that there are different denominations. We're all reading through God's word, mm -hmm. and we believe that it is, it is God's word to us, right? It is uh, it is perfect and given to us as a gift, and so we try to understand it with very, very small minds, trying to encapsulate at least some truth about an eternal, infinite God. And so, of course, we're going to divide over those things. And so that's what we're having the conversation about. Some of these are very point-blank obvious, and if they are, we tend to say that. Mm -hmm. We'll say things like, hey, we don't really get why mm -hmm. someone could land in this camp because it seems so abundantly obvious. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes there's things like this that we just don't know and we're doing our best to understand. Yeah. And that's that's an okay thing. That's a beauty of God because if he was so small mm. that we could wrap our minds around everything he did. Yeah. He wouldn't uh, be God. He's not God, yeah. right? And, he, and he's probably not worth worshiping because mm -hmm. it's just another dude next to us who we get. Uh, so that's a great answer. And, you know, obviously we don't expect everyone to hear what we're saying and 100% agree uh, because, like I said, if that was the case, we'd be serving a pretty small God. And so we know we serve an infinite God who functions in ways far beyond our understanding, and that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to abilities, like I said, those are a little bit more tangible. Yeah. And you had kind of said this idea that there's potentially an ebb and flow, at least as you understand it now, for spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. This one, you don't have to even sugarcoat it. You sure. can just say, when we talk about abilities, yeah. think about your own or other people's, um, what happens to those over time? They Well, abilities, depending on what the ability is, actually, I might be able to say every ability goes downhill over time, right? If you have um, physical prowess where you've been given a particular athletic ability, that's going to go down. If you have anything that's dependent on the physical um, your brain, um, your eyesight, every, all those things, they, they go away. Um, you, you do not get to carry those things into death, you know, unless you have an untimely death. Um, so abilities, um, and abilities can also, um, change because I can hone something. I can hone, I can hone how I, uh, I can hone my brain to be better at memorizing. Now I have some there are some parameters where, you know, you just, you can't go past certain points. Um, but, but abilities, they, they, they go away, um, generally because eventually your brain doesn't operate the way it does. So any kind of mental intellectual ability is going to go away. Um, your body doesn't work the way that it does, um, throughout your whole life. So when you're 75 versus when you're 25, your abilities are going to change. They're going to be different. Um, and just because we're, our physical bodies are failing, um, slowly, uh, sliding in, into death. Yeah. Obviously one of those is dependent on the spirit, spiritual gifts. One is dependent yeah. on your, your physicality. Yes. And as you were talking, uh, 
you know, we do this weird thing where people were really talented when they were 20 and then we begin to kind of idolize them and then we get older and then we put them on display again and their talent is not nearly Mm. at the level it used to be. Mm -hmm. You see this weird stuff like you're watching senior league golf. Yeah. Like they can't drive the ball. They drive the ball a hundred yes less yards than they used yeah. to, but we're still watching them on TV. Mm-hmm. It's total nostalgia. Yeah. You go to totally. Las Vegas and you're going to watch a, a Britney Spears or Garth Brooks show or share. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me that at share yeah. what she's like 142 <laughs> and you know that she's not bringing it like she was when yeah. she was 20. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we, we do this goofy stuff, but we all live in this reality that abilities do um, fall off the table. Yeah. The best singers yeah. become, uh, not as good singers. They'll still be better than me, but they're never going to hold a candle to their 20 year old version of themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually a beauty that we have a- as Christians mm-hmm. is that we know this is a component of ourselves that God has made us. Mm-hmm. But when you have a spiritual gift element, it doesn't really matter. It's not held to account by your physicality. Right. right. So God can utilize you in the ways that he sees fit even if you're a hundred years old. Yeah. And I think that's something really beautiful in the faith. Yeah. And very rarely, um, in fact, let me, let me think through, um, the gifts that I know. I think very rarely are the gifts, um, maybe, maybe only tongues is necessitated on the ability to like, like connected to a physical ability. Like you can't speak in tongues if you don't have a tongue, right? You just don't, you just can't. Um, I guess God could, allow you to do it but reasonably you know you can't do that but the rest of the gifts um are not dependent on physical ability um because you know what you can encourage and you can serve no matter what your ability is you can lead um you can show mercy you can prophesy um no matter what your ability is um and so i think that's that's definitely a difference is that um those spiritual gifts have eternal value because they make, they connect us together to build one another up, to love one another. They have eternal value because they point us to Christ. Um, that's how we live in Christ where abilities don't necessarily do that. Um, abilities can be good or bad. You know, you can use them for, for good or bad. Um, but spiritual gifts are not that way. They're, they're very specifically for the building up of the body. Um, for loving and serving. And, and occasionally we do see them um, being used for the good of those outside the church as well. Um, but it's for a particular thing, um, which is uh, glorifying Christ, uh, bringing people to faith in Christ, um, and building one another up in Christ, uh, where abilities are just, they're just, I mean, neutral, you know, in many ways. They can be used for, for love or for hate. And they can be used for good or for bad. our shift into our next letter, which is letter P. It's going to be for personality. Hmm. And for better or worse, we all have different personalities. God has made us the way he has made us. And uh, probably the most obvious way that sticks out to most people is uh, the the difference between like introverted, extroverted. Yeah. There's a lot of different elements of personality, but for most people, it's like that's a clear cut one that everyone kind of is like, okay, that person is really outgoing and that person is more reserved. Uh, so let's talk about personality within the church, mm-hmm. different unique people. Uh, once again, we kind of alluded to a lot of the stuff uh, in, in the yeah. passions, but how have you seen unique personality traits thrive in ministry where others fail? Mm. Mm. Well, I think about that. Um, I kind of want to back up and just say a word, um, if I can, about personalities. Uh, I I don't put a whole lot of stock into personality profiles, Um I think that most of the ones that I've seen are fine, um, and they have some they have some good of just self awareness uh, of of who we are and, and who God has made us to be. Um, but I know that some people, and especially for some reason, Christians tend to get really into personalities, um, which I think is is interesting. Um, but but people really get buy into that um, because it helps us categorize people. I think it can be a useful tool. Um, for interpersonal, you know, conversations and, and leadership, because then you can identify, okay, you know, this person has 
this personality type tendency. Uh, so I kind of know how to better interact with them, what's valuable to them, what's not valuable to them. So uh, the personality test assessments, profiles, they can have some good, um, but I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into them. Um, and so um, I like the one that we use in our shape assessment just because it's simple um, and it's it's a little bit more functional. So it kind of takes your personality and it says, these are the kinds of roles that you might fall into um, and I can't think of all of them off the top of my head, but it's something like leader, cheerleader, worker, you know, it's like those kinds of things. So it helps people think a little bit more functionally about how their personality might uh, operate within a ministry. Um, but overall, any of these personality profiles are going to be fine. So if you take Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, uh, whatever it might be, they're all okay. Um have fun with them, enjoy them. You know, they're entertaining. I like them. Okay, fine. Uh, so that's great. Um, but also like don't pigeonhole yourself just because you take some, you read some book and you get really excited about personality, uh, types, um, because they're, they all, they're all flawed, um, some way. Uh, I think, um, I've seen some good, uh, articles and books on, um, specifically the Enneagram and how it kind of operates in the Christian life. Uh, so from a Christian perspective, um, that's one that has been uh, kind of floated to the top as a particularly good, and I'm not even sure where it started out. I don't know how they ended, why they categorize people the way that they do. Um, but with that, there are some um, personality types that just lend themselves to leadership um, and some personality types that lend themselves to uh, being uh, workers um, in a ministry or uh, being cheerleaders for a ministry. And and we, again, this, this all kind of falls into vocation. This all falls into calling. So you are not a better Christian if you have a personality that lends itself more to leading ministries or even leading a church, right? So being a pastor is not a better calling than being a warehouse worker or being a teacher or being a firefighter or anything like that. It's not a better calling. It's just a different calling. And so same thing with personalities. No one personality is better than the other. No one personality makes it easier to be a Christian or easier to be uh, to do ministry than any others. They're just different personalities. Um, so people who tend to be outgoing um, tend to become leaders, uh, which that's for good and for bad. I think that, that somebody who's introverted can be just as good of a leader as somebody who's extra, who is an extrovert. Um, but there are just some personality types uh, there are some personality traits that tend that lend themselves to leadership better than others. Um, that doesn't mean that if you you know if you don't have um, all of those traits that you can't be a leader because you you know you still can um, and you can lead well and be effective. Um, but personality helps us understand. Okay, this is how God has crafted my particular personality. So if I am super introverted and I uh, do not like having um, interactions with people, then maybe something I shouldn't do is like uh, go, I don't know, do, do like home communion visits. You know what I mean? Like if it makes me really uncomfortable to interact with someone I don't know, maybe that's not the ministry for me. Um, maybe I can find something else where I can um, work in the kitchen or like prepare uh, food for our coffee hour, coffee fellowship on Sunday mornings, or maybe I could... Um, uh, you know, there's some work um, with like our ushers that doesn't require a whole lot of that interaction. So there are places that you can find. Um, it just helps you think through where can I plug in and where can I serve the church? And also where can I serve outside the church? Um, if I'm very outgoing, then, oh man, greeter, you know, might be a good one. Um, if I'm outgoing and also have um, musical ability, maybe like uh, being in the choir or in the worship team, maybe that's where I need to plug in because I get to be in front of people and those sorts of things. So our, our personality in the shape profile, our personality profile, it's just um, to get the conversation started uh, and to help people think through where they might um, want to plug in. But this is related to abilities because lots of times we can't change our personality. You know, it's given to us. Um, and so it's something good that God has given to us. And so we shouldn't um, uh, reject it or dislike it. Uh, we just use it to be self-aware and... Um, and prayerfully think through how, how we can plug in to our congregation and serve them and serve our world um, with what God has given us. How have you seen 
uh, different personality types conflict in a church. Maybe there's a mm. couple of guys on, on leadership team or on the same ministry team together, mm. um, or they tend to just butt heads because of how God has wired them. There's nothing they can mm. do about it. It's just what it is. Yeah. So I, I would say I'll, I'll go to the extremes and I'll say um, when someone is particularly idealistic, um, strong-willed, um, even bullheaded, th- those are all personality traits that can be beneficial um, and are good that God has given. Uh, when you get two or more of those kinds of people in the same room, working in the same ministry, sometimes that can be difficult. Um, I don't think that that means that two strong-willed people can't serve in the same ministry. Um, it just takes a little bit of extra talking and a little bit of extra work to get everybody on the same page. Um, so I've seen that happen where um, ministry team leaders, not necessarily here, um, have been very strong-willed. Um, and sometimes that can turn into an unwillingness to change or unwillingness to take correction. And so you just have to, I mean, you just have to have lots of conversations, you know? Um, you have to have the same conversation four, five, six, seven times. You have to be patient um, with that person um, and just kind of work through. And then the other side would be um, somebody who's not very strong-willed, um, who tends to uh, uh, allow allow others to be the dominant voice, um, people who are maybe more patient, um, non-confrontational. Um, sometimes they... Uh, can sometimes that means that the ministry becomes inactive, right? I've seen that happen uh, where somebody who's not particularly strong-willed, who is not strong-willed, um, just lets the uh, um, kind of lets the ministry go because they don't want to have to deal with the confrontation. Um, so there's two totally different um, personalities that can both cause a ministry to go off the rails because if you're unwilling to change or if you're too willing to change, um, both can be, can be dangerous and everything in between as well. So that's kind of maybe two examples that I've personally experienced somebody who's particularly strong willed and someone who's not, who's non-confrontational. Um, both those things can lead to negative, negative issues. When I lived in New Mexico, I ran this, uh, like youth leadership camp. And we had a, a military institute right there in town. And so we would bring the kids over there. And they had all these like little, they're kind of like escape room, obstacle course type things, military style. And so you'd bring a group in there and you would have them kind of appoint their own leader and try to come up with a solution. And so you would just stand and watch. You, you weren't allowed to say anything. You just watch them fail. And typically one of the reasons they would fail is because there was always an extrovert yeah. who was always typically the biggest person in the group who was trying to tell people what to do with the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. And so they would fail. Then you bring them back together and you'd say, why didn't you succeed? And they're like, this was the best idea we had and, and we weren't able to accomplish it. And I would say, does someone else have a better idea that no one listened to? And there's always some little girl or some skinny little boy <laughs> who would slowly raise their hand. And they're like, if, well, if we did this and this and this, we would have done it. And I said, why did you say that? Well, they were yelling so loud. And they never asked me. Hmm. And that's the the quintessential introvert, right? They thought through it, but they didn't want to make a ruckus. They just sat quietly in the corner. No one asked them. So they didn't feel like they had permission to speak. And so we would do these leadership camps and this would happen year after year after year. And so if they learned nothing else, the extrovert learned to give permission to the quiet voice mm-hmm. and to come up with a better solution. And, and oftentimes uh, that youth camp is no different than church no different than your business, no different than anywhere else. There's someone with the best idea in the room that didn't get asked. Right. And uh, you were too busy being loud and outgoing that you forgot uh, that just (laughs) because you yell when you know um, doesn't mean other people do. Right. And so there's obviously some of those things that happen in church world too. But let's talk about uh, the Bible. And this is probably a little bit harder because we don't have all the colors and all the details of these people. but. Um, how do you see uh, some different characters in the Bible having unique personalities that seem to to bubble to the surface, or at least we have some descriptors that point these things out? Yeah, so I right off the bat, one of my favorite um, 
characters in scripture is uh, the apostle John. And uh, partly because I feel a lot of um, commonality with John, uh, I um, am fairly extroverted, fairly bullheaded, fairly strong-willed. Um, I've part of what I'll talk about is, is some of that's been grown out of and been tampered down a little bit uh, by being a pastor. Some of that has um, kind of forced me to interact differently with people. But especially in college, um, burned a lot of bridges, hurt a lot of feelings, um, made a lot of enemies because I was oftentimes um, thought I oftentimes thought I was the smartest in the room, and so I would be the loudest in the room. Is oftentimes how that how that worked itself out. Um, but so John and his brother James are um, given by Jesus the title Sons of Thunder. Um, and part of that is because of their um, just kind of shamelessness to ask Jesus for the right and left seat um, around him in the kingdom. Um, so they're, these guys are pretty bold. They're not really... Uh, they ask Jesus this uh, favor to make them the most honored in the kingdom right in front of their friends. Like, they, so... They're just kind of jerks, you know what I mean? Um, so probably fairly strong-willed, uh, probably fairly bullheaded, probably fairly extroverted, um, and and so much so that Jesus calls them the sons of thunder because they're just so boisterous and, you know, whatever, loud. And uh, this same John, who is called a son of thunder, later on, after he's a pastor, writes um, writes several letters, and we have three of them in in our scriptures in the New Testament, and he says, um, this is the, the, one of the sons of thunder. And he says uh, things like, little children love one another. In his letters, love becomes the dominant theme. And then we, um, he's also the one who, who does the revelation, who receives the revelation. And uh, in that, he's very pastoral in how he deals with um, the, the churches that he's interacting with. And he gives them encouragement and challenge um, in a pretty imaginative way. And so this arc, um, in, in my mind, I've constructed this, this arc of this John who was pretty bullheaded and strong-willed um, becoming a pastor and experiencing what I experienced, um, which is where he's cleaved to these people and he's given the honor of pastoring them, and that softens him. And so then he goes from being... Uh, this boisterous jerk who asked Jesus in front of his friends to give him the seat of honor to the pastor who writes little children love one another. Um, so that's an example of a personality that we see. Um, but we can kind of see, and it, you can't, it's not really fair or good to psychoanalyze biblical characters because we don't have details about those kinds of things. But I think that we can clearly see um, Paul's personality, specifically in the New Testament, bubbling up. Um, I think we can see David's personality bubbling up. Um, I think that we can see Peter, the difference between the differences between Peter and Paul, where Peter um, uh, is willing to listen to the voice of Jewish Christians um, who have some sway and some authority. He's willing to kind of acquiesce a little bit more to them than Paul is. Um, so we definitely see different personalities in scripture. And I think specifically the new Testament, we see them more robustly, um, kind of bubbling up, up to the surface. Yeah. So we're going to, uh, begin to close out this conversation with our last piece of this acronym, which is mm -hmm. letter E. Mm -hmm. And that talks about specifically experience our own personal experiences. So, um, what are some everyday experiential examples, uh, for the positive that allow people to serve God better? Yeah, so this is like, I mean, anything from uh, I was, you know, a landscaper when I was younger. You know, I worked as a, as a landscaper when I was in high school. So now I can serve the church by helping out with this thing. I have, um, you know, if you have experience uh, leading a team, um, man, being a ministry team leader, that's great. You know, if you know how to organize and, and do projects, that's fantastic. Um, if you know how to organize um, service projects, you know, if you've done anything like that with um, maybe you've worked in school or worked with kids before and 
um, or, or done uh, other sort of projects for your job, uh, putting on picnics and that kind of stuff. That's all experience that just lends itself to the church world pretty well because uh, those are the same kinds of things that we use to facilitate um, uh, community and facilitate uh, connections with non-believers and serve serving others. You know, you have to have some of those um, organizational things. So any, any experience like that is fantastic. Um, if you have experience um, teaching, that lends itself to children's ministry pretty well because you know how to interact with kids. You know um, uh, what, depending on what the age of the kids, what kind of uh, information they need to require, they, they, they can understand. Um, so really anything that you experience out in the world can lend itself to ministry. Um, and even, even negative experiences, you know, if you, um, have experience, if God forbid, you know, you've experienced abuse, um, and you found some healing from that, or you've experienced, uh, something negative like, uh, a drug addiction or alcohol addiction, um, or you've experienced broken, um, marriages, you know, all those things lend themselves to, uh, you are you are better equipped to have conversations with and minister to people who are experiencing that than others are. Um, so anything that happens to us, anything that we do, um, can lend itself to serving uh, both the church and your neighbor. Um, so that experience that that kind of is a catch-all, right? Anything that you've experienced, um, God can use. Yeah, we tend to think of experience in the in regards to wisdom, right? So we say. Mm. You know, older people are more wise. We tend to say that because they've had more life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that's not necessarily true. Really, mm-hmm. wisdom is the application of experience. And so for some people, God gives them unique experiences that allow them to uh, really impart wisdom into people's lives. Maybe it is a broken marriage. Yeah. And so once they step back and realize how they were part of the problem, they actually can step into someone else who's about to get divorced or about to have a broken marriage or about yeah. to do something really stupid and say, Hey, 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 this is where I screwed up. And then they impart that wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it'd be wise on that person's part to internalize, yeah. you know, that person's experience so that they don't go through it as well. And, and so really experience does give us wisdom. And I think that's why we do go through some of the things that we go through because mm-hmm. God is actually, allowing us to go through it so that maybe 10, 15, 20 other people don't have to, Hmm. you know, or when they do, we're there to help them because we have empathy because we actually experienced it as well. And, and so a lot of times when I'm meeting with people or talking to people and they're telling me about uh, their life and the heartache they've had, if they're far enough away from it, I'll ask them and how has God used that? And most of the time they'll say, He's used it in my life this way, but he also has used it in other people's life this way. Because when that person lost their spouse, hmm. I went and talked to them, uh, you know, or whatever the situation is. When that person got addicted to pornography, drugs, alcohol, I was able to talk to them. And they just have this unique connection point mm-hmm. that allows other people to survive mm-hmm. these things and also to find a way out so much quicker or maybe to avoid it altogether. And so our experience does play a, a, a real key component. So let's get a little personal here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor Eric, how have your personal experiences, for better or worse, prepared you to step into a pastoral role and be effective at uh, the young age of 28? 27. 27? I was 23 when I was hired. There you go. My first lead pastor role, um, which was probably more foolish than it was wise, but you know that neither here nor there now. Um, I have always um, been concerned and interested in protecting my friends and having and my family and having everyone be on the same page. And I think that that particular um, desire made pastoral ministry feel um, natural. So... I like got in a fight in sixth grade protecting a friend who was being made fun of, right? That kind of thing where um, very early on I was felt like I wanted to fight for um, others and fight for uh, those who maybe 
uh, couldn't themselves. And and I remember, and I see, I don't even remember um, a lot of instances, but I, I remember when I when I was older, um, what other people have said about me. So, for example, um, I don't know. I I was still in college, and I was back home, and I went to uh, some store or something. And, and as I was walking out, I saw my seventh grade science teacher walking in and like we greeted each other, we hugged and I hadn't seen her since I was in middle school. And, um, she goes, Hey, you know, well, what are you doing? And I said, I was in school. And so what are you studying? Oh, I'm studying uh, ministry. And she goes, Oh, that's so great. You always, um, helped people, um, when you were in my class. And like, I don't even remember doing that. Right. Um, later, uh, when I, when I started dating, um, Sarah, my wife, uh, we went back, uh, we, we, we were at my home church for some event or something and, uh, met somebody who was like a, a middle school, uh, sorry, yeah, like a Sunday school teacher. And, and he says, you know what I've always liked about Eric is that he always included people that, uh, that wouldn't normally have been included. He always made sure that everybody was part of whatever game or whatever activity we were doing. I'm like, I don't, I don't even remember doing those things. Um, but those, uh, that all led into a fairly natural, like, oh, like this is what I, this is what I want to do. Um, so I, I don't know if that necessarily counts as experience, but like when just my natural tendency to do those things, um, my natural tendency toward um, including those who normally aren't included, um, those, those lended themselves to being a pastor and have, have, um, they've, uh, flourished in my, in my ministry. Um, so that's, that's some experience that I had, not necessarily like I was trying to gain experience, but just, I was just doing what felt right. I was doing what, what I knew, uh, what I was convicted to was right. Um, and then those things like just, it just made sense. So then of course, what am I passionate about now? in ministry is including those who aren't normally included in the church, right? Including those who um, are often marginalized by the church. Um, so that's, that's one way um, that maybe my experience has, um, has, has provided me with um, a good opportunity. I would say that there are uh, a few others um, maybe less prominent than that um, was involved in um, uh theater work, you know, in, in grade school or not grade school in middle school and high school, um, that probably added a lot, um, to learning how to, uh, project and speak well, you know, interact, um, with the, with the crowd. Um, I think that those things might, um, have been useful and then just, just opportunities, um, in the church to get in front of the congregation. I think, you know, we're big. So being part of the children's choir and, um, being in some dramatizations in in the church, um, opportunities to read scripture or to um, share testimony, you know, all those sorts of things. Those were all good experiences that lended themselves to um, to being a pastor. So, what about what about you? Well, my mom has uh, is has a way <laughs> of saying things. I think she's trying to be nice, but they always sound super mean. <laughs> and and when I was younger, I distinctly remember her telling me that something to the effect of you've made so many bad choices. Someday you'll help a lot of people not make bad choices. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like, thanks mom. Yeah. So actually my first step in ministry was as a youth pastor. And so I spent all my time around kids and that's what I did. Right. I took my experiences. I took God's truth. I kind of blended the two together and equipped these kids to have a better path and a better way, hopefully mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. I did. And it wasn't like I got into things that were really, really horrific. It was just like stupid teen mm. choices, right? And so that's that's true. I mean, that experience really worked its way out. As I've gotten older, um, I've learned to make wiser decisions. I've learned to utilize God's truth in my own experience to its uh, better extent. And so one of the things, though, that I do now is we have a lot of weddings here. And so I have to do marriage prep and I... I'll meet with the the couple and I'll always kind of start if I remember. Typically I start or somewhere in there it's going to it's going to pop up. That my first year of marriage was an absolute disaster. I mean, we were at the point where if we would have both walked the other way, there wouldn't even have been hard feelings. We would have just been so happy that we weren't having oh, to wow. be there anymore. And so I tell him that to point to the reality that now I've been married 7 years and we stayed together and we're very, very happy, and we have two beautiful children, and, and you know the story goes on. 
But I tell them that that as they go into marriage, there will be times like that. Uh, but God has given us an amazing promise that if we can stick it out and stay together, that he's going to actually paint a beautiful picture for us if we we do things his way. And so I, I tell them that to ease the tension because I think a lot of people walk in and they think what we're doing is not preparing them for marriage, but I'm actually checking if they should get married. And so I typically start with that story, tell them why I'm meeting with them. And it's not to say, I will marry you. I won't do the marriage. Um, but really just to prepare them because there will be hard times and I'm a prime example. And so I want them to be able to be honest. And so I use that experience. And I think that's really helped people to understand that I'm not sitting on ivory throne saying, Hey, mm, mm. for seven years, you know, I've lived in the the movie, the notebook or some other <laughs> horrific movie that was made, uh, by women for women for men to watch and hate, you know, one of those things. But that's, that's why I've used, you know, that personal experience. I feel that God gave us a rough year mm. to not only appreciate the years afterwards, but also to help people who have mm. gone through a rough patch, whether it's mm. their first year, second year, you know, or, or 20th year. And so I think those experiences really, really help. Closing up uh, this piece of the component, Encourage Calling. And so I, I, I want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. If a life group puts this into play, right, yes. they're actually encouraging the calling of one another. Yes. How does that look in a life group setting? Yeah. So, you know, th- this is going to come from a lot of conversation, which is primarily what life groups will do together is is talk and pray um, and read scripture. So, so what I... W- the best kinds of conversations that are going to produce encouraged calling are going to be conversations where as people get together, they're working through um, whatever study they're doing or book they're doing, they begin to pray with one another and and the conversation happens where um, somebody has something going on in whatever. They're dealing with uh, a, a teenager who doesn't, you know, isn't responding well to them and is doing something they wish that that they weren't, or they have a particularly difficult coworker. Um, then, then you just begin to process that information together. So, um, again, I'm going to point to kind of the AA model, which is uh, I'm very fond of. So, this is like, okay, you're having you're having a dispute between you and a coworker, you and your spouse, you and your kids. You know, what's what's the nature of that dispute? You know, what kinds of things are going on? What kind of arguments are going on? Um, why do you think that they feel that way? Um, you know, what, what part do you have in that? How are you responding that maybe isn't super healthy? Um, and it's going to be helping this person process their vocation, whatever they're calling, you know, whatever, if, if it's dealing with somebody else, it's, we're talking vocation language. So if it's their child or if it's a coworker, or if it's their boss, um, that group is going to be able to help them process, uh, anything that's going on, any good or bad thing that's happening. Um, and, and they're going to have more clarity. They're going to know, um, and that's why it's encouraged calling because they are going to have more clarity in, okay, I, I'm not able to process this objectively myself, but I can talk to my life group about what's going on. And somebody may know a scripture. Hey, well, you know, this happened to Paul or this happened to, um, Jesus and this happened to, you know, David. And, um, then we're able to talk about the wisdom of scripture and meaningfully apply it uh, to the person's situation. Um, so, okay, you know, if the if the goal of the calling is to love and to serve um, those uh, your neighbor, then how can you love and serve the your teenager that you're having this problem with, or your coworker that you're having this problem with? Um, it's those conversations that are going to be really, really beneficial um, because it's going to. That's why it's encouraged calling. You are going to be better at your calling because of the conversations you have. So that's why um, oftentimes uh, I, I imagine in, in the groups that I've been a part of, the, that prayer request time um, oftentimes becomes a lot of conversation. It's a long time before you actually get to praying because you're talking through what's going on. You're talking through, you know, maybe some solutions to the problem. Then you're praying about it. You're, you know, you're seeking God's wisdom. Um, so that's one component of that encouraged calling. Another component um, is that these life groups really, they, they should be finding um, areas to serve as well. Um, so uh, my dream would be that life groups once a semester, twice a semester maybe, 
would be doing some sort of service project. So, um, may, and it may actually end up filling um, some of the needs that our ministry teams fill right now. Um, so maybe it means like having less particular ministry teams and having um, life groups that are active. Um, so I think that ideally that's what we would see is that there are some things that should um, have their own organization, their own team dealing with a particular thing. Um, but also there are like lots of things that life groups can just do. And and I think that that's something that, that we should do. So also just putting some legs on loving one another um, in, in tangible ways is another another thing. So I would say those are probably the two primary ways that I can see encouraged calling happening in a life group is those conversations about uh, whatever your calling is and, and encouraging one another to be um, Christian and loving in their calling. And then the other thing is uh, doing ministry with one another um, on a regular basis. I know there's a, a powerful statistic that I don't remember, uh, but 99% of statistics are made up anyways. Oh, that's right. No, that's not true. Uh, I, trust, I trust stats, um, but there is something significant about the teaching method and, and it says basically the idea that if you tell someone something and they right. hear it, that they have a, a small chance of retention. Right. If they see it, that jumps up. Mm-hmm. If they put it into practice, it's something like over 80%. Yeah. They will internalize it, remember it forever. And so that's really the beauty of a life group is mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these people are, are gathering around the word. Mm-hmm. So they're hearing the word. They're, they're looking at the word. They're having these types of conversations, and then they're living it out. They put it into yeah. practice. I mean, that's that's the glue. They've cemented it into their lives, and so it's a really beautiful thing that the life groups would actually put it into practice instead of being kind of a a, a, a seminary of sorts where yeah. they gather around and just study. Yeah, because life groups, word. life groups aren't seminaries, and they're also not therapy groups, right? So they're not. There's going to be um, there will be Bible study, and there will also be like. Some there some things that feel like therapy, um, but they're not they're not either of those things. They're life groups, so you live the Christian life um, together. So that should kind of include all of those active elements as well. All right, so we're going to close down this conversation. And over the past number of weeks, with a couple breaks in between, we spent a lot of time talking about the table, working through the the acronym LIFE, which is life sharing, intentional caring, faithful living, and today we talked about encouraged calling. So where I kind of want to leave us is, uh, what is your dream or vision for the life group ministry here at New Life? Yeah, I would love, you know, for me, uh, a church is is a disciple is a, it's a discipleship factory. Um, and I think I said that when I interviewed here uh, with the search committee. So, what we're doing is we're producing um, we're producing people who are in Christ, the new kind of human um, that is promised in the scriptures, uh, the new life that's promised in the scriptures. So, we want to make sure that we are exploring and teaching people how to fully live that that new life. So um, I think that the LIFE acronym, uh, which is something that you had in place before I came here, um, is excellent. I think that that uh, fits right in with what I, what I imagine a LIFE group to be. Um, so our LIFE group ministry, I would love to see it be um, a vibrant um, 80% of our people involved in LIFE groups. I think that's, that's a high number, much, much higher than most uh, churches have um, in small groups, um, but I think it's attainable. I think it's reachable. Um, and doing this, these four things, uh, be, simply because, um, not simply because, but what you know, partly because we we can't do everything as pastors, um, and also we cannot help um, every single person in our congregation explore the Christian life. We can't help every single person in our congregation um, become fully alive in Jesus. Uh, but the congregation can do that for one another. Um, so just like Ephesians 4 says, um, you and I as pastors, um, as leaders, we are equipped, we are given gifts um, in order to build up the church and to build up, uh, and it's actually, um, the, the, the phrase is uh, to equip the church to build up one another until we attain unity. So it's even, there's even another layer in there that I missed, but it's 
Uh, and that's so that's my dream is to equip our congregation to build one another up, to equip our congregation to care for and love one another. Um, and so my uh, my ideal uh, ministry and life group would be yeah eighty plus percent of our people involved um, doing life sharing, intentional caring, faithful living, encourage calling, just as we talked about. Um, confessing their sins to one another, sharing their burdens with one another, um, caring for each other when things get rough uh, or, or things are even even when things are going good, um, to to challenge and to spur one another on um, in their relationship with God, and then also to um, challenge and encourage and spur one another on in their care for uh, the people around them, their neighbors. Um, that's to me, that's the ideal. It's um, it's simply what the church does, which is be the new humanity, be the new, uh, the new people, the new community, the alternative community, um, where the kingdom of God is and the kingdom of God is being built and is flourishing, um, and, and doing that in such a way that it compels and captivates the world, um, outside where that, that adds and adds and adds and multiplies, um, people into, into its, uh, into the fold. Well, thank you for joining Pastor Eric and myself as we've had this a uh, long conversation about life groups, but hopefully you understand them better. Um, hopefully you're equipped to facilitate yours uh, even with more excellence than you have in the past. Or maybe hopefully you're excited to join one or start one uh, coming up in this fall as we all make our, our strong push into the, the school year and the church year. Well, next week, Pastor Eric will begin leading you through conversations about the chair. Or another way to think about that is your personal interactions with God. So look forward to that. It's going to be a great time as uh, Pastor Eric actually has real conversations with everyday people about how they actually live out this time and interact with their Lord and Savior, Jesus, with uh, some personal time together. Until next time, I'm Pastor Ben, and Pastor Eric has joined me, and we will see you guys next week.